joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue. Let's go to God in prayer, though, as we, as we start our time together. God, we're so gracious to be in your presence today. We're, we're grateful. We're humbled. Uh, we thank you so much for being the almighty God, of being the great I am, the beginning and the end. We just pray now that as we open up your word this morning that We'll open up our hearts that we'll uh, continue to look at these great moments and people of faith uh, that we've been studying, uh, that we'll take the lessons that you're wanting us to learn from them, we'll uh, apply them, we'll grab them, we'll hold on to them, we'll try to live to that standard so that when the moment comes that our faith has to be displayed, when the moment comes that the challenge is in front of us to step up, uh, that we will have the strength to step up, God, that we will go from ordinary to extraordinary in our faith. Just bless us in this time, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It seems like as it seems like as you, you begin to talk about faith and you begin to, to get into this, this conversation that we've been having and, and really any conversation that you have about uh, church work right now. I know uh, Jonathan and I have this conversation. Uh, Jamie has been in and out of the office over the last several weeks, and we've been talking about ideas. And it seems like every conversation you have, the starting point of that conversation goes something like, well, before COVID it was this, but since COVID... We have this problem, this challenge, this issue, and, and, there, and, and not, not in bad ways, but there's some words that post-COVID, in this post-COVID world, that have been introduced into our church vernacular, and not really just church, but just kind of in life in general, but it's these re-words, re-words, restart relaunch, re-engage, re-plug, these ideas of we were running along in a direction and then three years ago all of a sudden everything just stopped. Everything just stopped, everything just shut down a couple of years ago. Maybe it just it just it just can't, you know, and, and and they tell you, you know, especially when you're talking about machinery or things, if you've got something that's been running and going for a long time, one of the worst things you can do to it is what? Just turn it off and let it sit, right? Because you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some challenges. Uh, Brighton and Will, boy, they love it when someone takes a vehicle, turns it off, and lets it sit because then they get a good deal and they spend all of their money trying to get it to run again so that they can lose money on the project when they sell it, right? That's a, Well, that's maybe not the way it really goes, but, uh, but they do like it when someone just lets something sit for a while, gives them something to tinker with. But in our faith and in our life, it, it, the last few years have been full of that. It's, and as we have thought about and looked at the things that we're doing as a church for, for a couple of years, it's been about you know, planning just a few steps ahead. Planning just a few moments ahead. We went through a period of time where really we couldn't plan much further than six weeks ahead because we didn't know what was going to happen in six weeks. And thankfully, and, and we praise God for this, that we're at a point now to where we're actually having conversations that are dealing with next year. 
Not just, not just the here and now, but, but what are we going to do next year? But before that, before COVID kind of came around, I mean, it was standard. Any of your church growth uh, leadership conferences, any of your, um, your, your church growth books talked about the importance of having a plan that involved what are you going to be doing a year from now, three years from now, and five years from now. But we've been through a period where we can't even think about where are we going to be five years from now because we've been afraid of what's going to happen six weeks from now. And so how do we begin to get back into a mode where we're not just so much in the here and now? And if we're not careful, the here and now can drive us. The here and now can, can really consume us. There, there's some questions uh, that we ask a lot. There's some questions that we ask a lot. One of the biggest questions, though, that I believe is asked at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ on a, on, on a here and now basis, and, and uh, uh, Brian was, was in charge of this for a little while, and now Will Romine has taken this over, but it's the question of who's going to be our teachers next quarter? That is a very here and now question, isn't it, Will? It seems like every time you turn around, it's here and it's now. We've got to figure it out. And, and I know when I started, when I started, Brian had this great spreadsheet of, of everybody that was teaching and everybody that was in that rotation. You didn't have to worry about that question because it was all lined up. But here we are having to restructure, relaunch, get back into the here and the now. It's so easy. It's so easy in the church to focus on what is going on right here in this moment. But there is something that that comes at the cost of. When we put all of our time and attention and focus on the here and now, what ends up suffering? Or what? Think about that for a second. Is it possible that we put so much focus on the here and now that it comes at the cost of our future? Can we be so wrapped up in the moment that we don't even worry about what happens 20 years from now? Let me ask you a question. How many of you spend a lot of time thinking about what's going to happen in the year 2043? Anybody this week had any, any thought about what's going to happen in the year 2043? If you are, let me see, I wrote it down here. If you are 56 years old, or older? Raise your hand. 56 years old or older? Raise them high if you can. Raise them high. Okay? Pat's got hers raised, but she's, she's walking. She's babying back there, okay? Statistically, and I don't mean this ugly in any way, but by the averages, you probably won't be here in 20 years. Because the average life right now in America is 76 years old. So, what happens here at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in the next 20 years, if you're 56 years or older, may not affect you one lick. So why would you spend time worrying and thinking and being concerned about what's going to happen 20 years from now? But now for the rest of us, for the rest of us, not only am I thinking about, well, who's going to be teaching the five and six-year-old class tomorrow, but I'm also wondering... In 15 years, who's going to be teaching the middle school class when finally my youngest is there? Those are important questions. Who are our elders going to be in 20 years? How many of you sit back and really think and wonder about that? It's so important for us as we think about our church, as we think about scriptures, as we think about our life, 
that we think not just about the moment, but we think about the future. One of the interesting things about the church is the church was never meant to be an in-the-moment thing, right? It was never meant to be just about the here and now, and we're going to look at some of that in a moment. But as you go to our text in Hebrews today, you're going to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about this idea. Ordinary people become extraordinary when they rise up and meet the challenge before them. And today we're introduced to a new set of characters. A new set of characters, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And I want you to look at what it says about them. Just three short verses. Last week, Jonathan dealt with several paragraphs about Abraham. Uh, but then we get to, to his immediate descendants and Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And I mean, it's just, again, we're back to that bang, 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 just, just short statements. But I want you to look at some words, and, and, and one word in particular that, they, that carries over in this idea. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, his, uh, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. All three of those moments, all three of those conversations dealt with not the here and now, but the what? The future. They dealt with the future as... We get into the book of Acts. So we get into the book of Acts. We'll get this to work here in just a second. Peter, as he's making this great statement of faith about salvation and forgiveness, he says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he's talking about the here and now right there, right? He's got this issue that, that Jesus has, has been resurrected, and this is the moment that's kind of the coming out party for the church, if you will. This is when it's going to be established. This is the moment that Peter's been waiting on. He's been given the keys to the kingdom, and he's fixing to use it to unlock the kingdom to the world. And he says, look, you've, you've crucified Jesus. You've done all these things. You've, you have failed. And someone stops him in the middle of his sermon and says, well, what do we do? What do we need to do to make it right? And he says, to make things right in your life when you fail, he says, you need to repent and be baptized. That is your process. That's the here and now. Everybody's got to have that here and now moment, right? We've got to have that here and now moment so that you can be forgiven of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. Even though it can be a here and now moment, it's not just about the here and now. He goes on, he says, this promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. He said this message, the cross, Jesus, the resurrection, the church, it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. It doesn't just stop. And so we have to find that balance in our life and in our church to where we are dealing with and appropriately prepared for the moment while also, while also dealing with the future and preparing people to be ready to lead in the future, to teach in the future, to do these things that when we're not here anymore, will they keep going? And yes, they can if we prepare for that moment. I, there's a lot of statistics about church growth out there. One that I read this week that really bothered me, that, that really 
what's really challenging to hear is that the churches of Christ as a whole in our country are moving in a direction that in the next 30 years, we will lose half of our membership. In the next 30 years, we will lose half of our membership. And it's because we have more people that are passing away and dying and leaving. To, that's part of that as well. But most of it is people passing away. Then we are bringing people into the church. Now, when is the time to begin to address that issue? 30 years from now? In the future? Or when? Right here right now. We can change the tide of the direction of our churches today instead of later. Because if we wait for 30 years, the job's going to be harder, right? It may not be able to be done if we're not careful with it and doing it right. So how do we begin to find ourselves and put ourselves in the place where we frame our ministries, we frame our missions, we frame our churches, our, our, our teachings, to where we are present in the moment while also preparing for the future. Because in this particular passage of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, every one of those moments, every one of those moments were about the future. And that is one interesting thing about the promise of God. As Abraham received the promise of God, the promise of God through the patriarchs was always something that was ahead of them. It was never right there in that moment. It was never right there at that time. It was always going to be fulfilled in the future. Think about this. Just, just, just let these numbers kind of settle in. When Isaac, when, when Abraham dies, and Isaac kind of becomes the head of the patriarch system there, if you will. The promise of God was already a hundred years old. A hundred years old. When Jacob gets his blessing from his father to be kind of the head and to carry this on, the promise of God that he made to Abraham is 162 years old. When he wrestles with God and becomes Israel in name, in Genesis 35, the promise is 185 years old. At Jacob's death, when Joseph kind of becomes the new patriarch, the promise is 235 years old. At Joseph's death, the promise is 285. Fast forward past the Exodus. When they come to the promised land, the 12 spies go in. And they're there. They're on the cusp of it, right? They're on the cusp of the promised land and having, the, having it right there almost to its fulfillment. The promise is 646 years old. Fast forward another 40 years, they're back there again, 685. And if you really want to get technical with it, the, the, the thing that God told them to do when they come back for the second time and actually take the promised land, he says, run all these people out. That doesn't actually get accomplished. What God wants them to do to inherit this, this promise that he made with Abraham to its fullest isn't actually accomplished until King David finally extinguishes the Philistines from the promised land. And at that point, the promise is over a thousand years old. That doesn't seem... That's just almost mind-boggling. We can't even begin to put ourselves in a place of thinking about being faithful and true to this promise for a thousand years in our life doesn't matter how faithful we are. We're never going to see the fulfillment on this side of eternity of the promise of God until the day of judgment. We have to keep moving forward. Okay, how do we do that? How do we, how do we 
face our challenge of the future. Okay, so how do we meet this challenge? The first person is this. It's the first thing that is said. It's said twice. Uh, Isaac does it and Jacob does it. We must be a person of blessing. We must be a person of blessing. I've been in, I have been doing church work in some shape, form, or fashion since the fall. I got my first job the fall of 2002, okay? Fall of 2002. So I've been in church ministry uh, now for, for 20, 21 years. I'm coming on 21 years. Um, I've met a lot of people. Blair and I, we, we had this conversation last night, and she helped me come up with this list. We, we meet a lot of people in church work. We meet negative Nancys. Nosy Nellies, Critical Carls, Woe is Me Williams, Know-It-All Nelsons, Blessing Bettys, and Working Wilmas. You know any of these people? Are you one of these people? Everybody is one of these people on this list, right? The question is, which one are you? A little self-evaluation. As you look at that list, which one of these people is you. As I'm writing this list out, the, the woe is me Wilma is the one that really jumped out. And, and you've heard this story before. There was this lady in Savannah growing up that was just one of these ladies. It didn't matter how great life was, everything was bad. Everything was bad. And I made the mistake. I saw her in one of the restaurants one day and I went up to her and I said, Sister so-and-so, she's passed away now. I said, Sister so-and-so, I said, how's your day been? I haven't seen you in a while. She goes, well, let me tell you. And if someone ever starts the conversation with let me tell you, Will, what do you need to do? Just be ready, right? It's coming. Let me tell you. And I sat there with her for 20 minutes before she finally got done. And I was just doing the, you know, hey, how's your day going? Good, good. Yeah, mine too. You know, just, you're supposed to act, you know, just act like you can't know. How's your day going? And it just, woe is me. Well, the next day, my granddaddy and I are eating again. I was doing some work with him at the time, and he sees her. He goes, I've not seen sister so-and-so, and I can't tell you when. I'm going to go ask her how she's doing. I said, well, I'll see you at the house. The word that jumps out so powerful in this passage to me is that as they're thinking about the future, their main concern is being blessings or blessing their children. We are called as Christians to be people of blessings. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 12, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Romans 12 verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 1 Peter 3 verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with, say it louder, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Are you a person of blessing? Is that your focus in your walk with God is to make sure you are blessing other people? What if we just narrowed down our membership and said you're only allowed to come next Sunday if you are a blessing Betty? If you're a person that the core of your life and your heart and your service to God is about blessing other people, you're the only ones allowed to come next week. How many people would be here? How many do we have this morning, Brian? 168. Think there'd be 168 here this week? Would you be here next week? You see, one negative comment, if we're not careful, can keep a young man from having a desire to serve as an elder one day. One nosy Nelly can make a whole family want to walk out 
Because what's going on in my life's really none of your business. One critical Carl can almost shut the doors of a building. You've heard it said, and I did as much research on it as I could this week. I don't know where it actually all comes from, but counselors, psychologists, they all, they all believe this and they all say this. It takes seven positive experiences to overcome how many negative ones? One. And if we have a church that is full of negatives or nosy or woe is me, or people are going to walk in and go, I don't want to be a part of that. And here's the thing, it doesn't have to be a church full of them. It can just be one. It can be one person that says, I don't understand why we're doing this. I don't get why this ministry is taking place. And, and since I don't understand it and I don't like it, I'm going to make sure everybody knows that I don't like it and that I don't understand it. Hey, if that's you, and I know, we're not all going to agree on things that we do, but instead of being negative about something, instead of being critical about something, before you pass judgment, before you let other people know you don't like it, get involved with it. Be a part of it. See if it's blessing other people. See if it's bringing light to God. Instead of standing off in the background and being critical and being judgmental, get involved. He says, be a blessing. Instead of being a nosy Nelly, if you think someone's having a hard time, instead of going and asking around and going, hey, Brand, did you hear something about Lily? I mean, what's, what's going on? Like, you know, instead of being that, sit down and write Lily a card and go, hey, I just want you to know I've been praying about you. I don't know what you got going on in your life, but it seems like maybe you're struggling a little bit. I just want you to know that I love you. Instead of being woe is me, go visit some people that are really struggling. Instead of being a know-it-all, learn to just be still and listen to other people. Be a blessing. Because if we're going to grow, People have to come here and feel built up. They have to come here and they have to feel loved. And not just as an individual, but they have to look around and they go, I feel that in this room. And one negative, one critical, one nosy, one woe can ruin the whole thing. So let's be people of blessings above everything else. Here's the second thing that I see. Live a life of worship. And this goes beyond Go to church, okay? This goes beyond what we're doing in this room right here. Living a life of worship is different than going to church, amen? It is, it is about a direction. It is about living in a certain way. And he says this particularly about Jacob. And if you think about the life of Jacob, Jacob was, Jacob was a guy that really lived on kind of unsteady ground his whole life, he created a lot of problems for himself and, and kind of put himself in some situations where he was taken advantage of once, but, but he kind of took advantage of a lot of situations. In Genesis chapter 25, his, his brother comes up and he's starving to death. And he's like, he takes advantage of the situation. He goes, hey, I'll give you a pot of this soup if you want. If you sell me your birthright. In chapter 27, him and his mom get together and they go and they trick Isaac. They trick the dad to give him the blessing to kind of become the patriarch. He kind of has this moment. And all that leads out later uh, to Genesis 32 when him and Esau are about to get back together and see each other for the first time. Man, he's scared to death. 
He's got all these kind of unsure moments, and then he gets to the point to where he's wrestling with God, and, and this guy's just, he's not giving up, and he's just going to be stubborn, and he's going to keep wrestling with him and keep fighting with him till finally God basically dislocates his hip. And now he's walking with a limp the rest of his life. But in this passage, in this text, it says that he worshipped while he leaned on his staff. And it wasn't until he truly found his footing in God, in a life of worship, that the ground beneath his life became firm. And at the end of his life, that was his focus. He was going to bless and he was going to worship. See what worship does when we live this life of worship. Worship helps us pull out from the moment, pull out from the here and now and the struggles that we face. Because we do, we face struggles in the here and now and in the moment. And they can seem huge and they can seem overwhelming. But God calls our struggles light and momentary. Light and momentary. How many of your greatest struggles have really seemed light and momentary? Or don't they usually feel all-encompassing? I have this struggle here and it just finds its way into everything else that's going on in my life. But God calls them light and momentary. But you see, worship helps us pull away from the moment and see the big picture. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, one of the great miracles of God in the early church is Paul and Silas. They're in prison. How many of you, if you got thrown into prison for something you didn't do or for doing the right thing, maybe they did it. They just wasn't necessarily something they should have gotten in trouble for. How many of you being thrown into prison would seem light and momentary? Or would it just seem like it's all over? Like, oh, it's just over. Woke some of you up right there, didn't I? What did they do? Did they sit there and go, woe is me? What did they do at midnight? What were they doing? Singing praises to God. They were worshiping. And you see, that kept them from being overwhelmed by the moment. Worship helps you from being overwhelmed with the challenges of the moment. Another favorite story of mine, the favorite character of mine in all scripture is David. Worship also helps us remember the importance and power of forgiveness. David royally failed, flat on his face has an affair, gets her pregnant, tries to kill her husband. I mean, what would we say if someone came forward this morning and said, these are the three things that I've done? How many? What would you be talking about at lunch today, right? About time that guy shows up. Are we really going to let him come to church here? You know, I can't believe so. And what would we? But what David realized, what David realized, because David lived a life of worship. Read the book of Psalms. David lived a life of worship that when he was confronted with his sins, when he was confronted with his mistakes, he didn't feel like there's nothing that anybody can do. I'm never going to overcome this. I'm never going to come back from this. Because of worship, he was able to pull himself back from the moment and realize, yes, I've failed. Yes, I've done wrong. But God can, will, and has forgiven me. And one of the most amazing statements he ever makes, I can't bring my son, bring my son back to me, but I can go to him. What does he realize? I've been forgiven. I can walk in the light. I can have God's grace. And I can ultimately be in heaven with my son one day. We need to live lives of worship. And when we do that, we become blessings to ourselves 
and other people. We don't worry just about the moment. And then the last thing, and very quickly I'll give this to you, help prepare for the future. Help prepare for the future. Joseph knew that he was not going to see his people leave Egypt. But what did he sit there and talk to them about? What did he sit and share with them about? He shared and talked with them, the text says, about the day that that would come. And then he said, when this day does come, I want you to take my bones, take my body, take my remains, and bury me back with my family. I'm going to go with you even though I'm not there, right? And I want you to think about it. For those of you who I asked if you were 56 years or older, I want you to look around this room, and I want you to look at what your, who your legacy is. I want you to look at who your legacy is. Those of you who are younger than 56, you're their legacy. My question is, what are you going to do with that legacy? Maybe you served as an elder at one point, and you wonder, who are our next elders going to be? What if you grab a couple of young men that you know has the potential to be great elders and say, over the next year or so, I just want to work with you. I just want to encourage you. I want to instill some things in you so that when the moment comes, you'll be ready. Maybe one of your greatest gifts in life is to teach. Maybe you're a great teacher. Or maybe you were a great teacher and you don't teach anymore. But what if you reached out and grabbed a couple of young people and said, hey, I see in you what I once had. And I want to teach you to be great. One of the things that I love about Wiley Dean is Wiley Dean has a passion for song leading. But you know what else he has a passion for? teaching other young men to lead singing. To prepare them for the moment that there's going to... We've enjoyed having Wiley over the last year and a half. But there's going to be a Sunday morning that Wiley doesn't walk through the building doors to lead singing. And in that moment, he's preparing young men to be ready to step up and lead. Maybe your greatest gift is to be a powerful prayer Pass that gift on to other people. You may not be here, but the church will. And how it continues, how it keeps going, greatly depends on what you're willing to pass on to the next generation. This is an important thing. I was talking to a good friend this week. He was a former elder of mine in, in Kingston, and, and he had told me this story once. And I was calling to get some, some, some deeper insight to it. And he actually followed it up with a second one. And I want to share both of these stories with you as we wrap up because I think, I think it's important for us to think about it. Ken grew up in East Nashville at the Shelby Avenue Church of Christ. The Shelby Avenue Church of Christ does not exist anymore. There's a lot of churches from the late 60s and early 70s in Nashville that don't exist anymore for, for various reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons that Shelby Avenue in particular doesn't exist is because in that particular neighborhood that all these families lived in and grew up in and, and, and went to church in, the demographics of that neighborhood began to change. And in a direction that they weren't comfortable with and that they didn't like and didn't necessarily enjoy, so they all moved out of the neighborhood. But for the next 10 years, a lot of those families still, even though they moved out of the neighborhood, they still came back to Shelby Avenue for church. But what they quit doing is worrying and focusing and being concerned on the neighborhood around them. They were just worried about themselves and the here and now. Just about us. And within 10 years of everybody moving out and away, 
Within 10 years, Shelby Avenue shut the doors to their building. But Ken said, let me tell you another story. I'd heard that one before. He said, let me tell you another story. Ken served in the Navy up in Great Lakes, um, uh, outside of Chicago. And he said, we went to a church up there called the Golf Road Church of Christ. And this was in the mid-70s. The Golf Road Church of Christ. And he said, said, I'm going to use this description because it's important to the story, but not meant to be negative anyway. He said it was was an all-white military church. A bunch of white people, okay? And he said, just hold on to that for a second. He said, I went back. He went back before COVID. A bunch of the guys that he'd been in the Navy with, they, they're all getting a little bit older, and they wanted to get back together and, and go back up there and, and just kind of relive the glory days, if you will. And so they get together, and they go back up there. And that Sunday morning, he gets ready, and he's like, hey, we're going to go back to church to the golf road. They got online. Golf road still exists. And, and he shows up, and it's no longer an all-white military church. It's a Hispanic church across the board. Two services. One service is an English service. One service is a Spanish service. But for the most part, everyone there are all Hispanic. And so he got to talking to some of the leaders of the church, some of the elders that at the time still has the same name on the, on the building, Golf Road Church of Christ. And he said, what happened? Like, how did this change come about? And he said in the early 90s, the demographics of the neighborhood began to change. The military guys moved out. The Hispanic community moved in. And the elders at the Golf Road Church said, look, we're not worried about the here and now. We're worried about the future and our community and the people that live around this building. And they continued to pour into that neighborhood and pour into that neighborhood. And as the demographics changed in the neighborhood, so did the demographics in the church. But guess what? The Lord's church is still there, still functioning still saving, still offering hope. It looks different than when Ken was there in the mid-70s, but the message is the same. Because there was a group of leaders who said it's not just about us in this moment, it is about the Lord's church continuing 20 years from now. My question is this, are we going to be a Shelby Avenue Church of Christ or a Golf Road Church of Christ? Are we going to be so concerned about the here and now that in 20 years, Ninth Avenue doesn't exist? Or are we so concerned about the future that even if it looks completely different, as long as the church is here and functioning and saving, that's the most important part. We have to make that decision for ourselves. You have to make that decision as a child of God. As a member of this church, are you going to be part of our future, whether you're here for it or not? Or are you just kind of along for the ride? God never calls us to be along for the ride. He never calls us to be negative. He never calls us to be critical, to be woe is me. He calls us to be blessings and to continue to push forward and think ahead. And as I think about these three people, and there's so many other stories we could tell about these three patriarchs. But the words that the Hebrew writer uses is blessed, worship, future. Those are words that we should take to heart in our life. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to be here this morning. And we know that that our world and where we live and what we're doing is so important. 
We also know that not only the Ninth Avenue Church now is important, but the Ninth Avenue Church that our kids are going to be parents in and adults in and married couples in is equally as important. So help us, God, as we minister and love into this community, that we do it with a heart that is not just about saving those today, but saving those who will come down the road. Help us to ensure our future, to make sure that we're moving in a direction that, that doesn't list us in that group of churches that 30 years from now lost half of their membership. But rather, we're the exception to that, God. That we're a, a church family that grew, that made a difference, and that helped save souls. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice that gives us a hope, that gives us salvation. God, be with those who have not grabbed that salvation this morning and had their sins washed away, as we mentioned and looked at in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Help them to make that commitment to you today. God, for those that may be struggling, that, that may be struggling with those negative attitudes, those critical attitudes, God, help them see that, forgive them of that, help them through your strength and your power to become blessings, to become workers, to become encouragers, God. In your son's name we pray. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus. And Twitter. Morning stars began. Father, love. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.